You're listening to the McKinsey Podcast, featuring wide-ranging conversations on the issues that matter in business and management. Hello and welcome to this episode of the McKinsey Podcast with me, Simon London. Today we are going to be talking about gold as a commodity, as a financial asset, and most of all, as an industry. Now, you might imagine that digging gold out of the ground would be easy money. Far from it. For one thing, the gold price is extremely volatile. For another, mining companies are having to look harder and dig deeper to find new deposits. They're also under increasing pressure to minimize carbon emissions and environmental impact. For this conversation about the complex economics of the gold sector, I spoke with McKinsey partner Oliver Ramsbottom, who's based in Hong Kong, and knowledge expert Greg Calloway, who's based in Johannesburg. Oliver and Greg, thanks so much for joining and welcome to the podcast. Great to be here. Yep, thank you very much. Happy to talk about gold, one of my uh, favorite commodities. So for those of us who are not close to the industry, maybe we should start with a little bit of scene setting. Oliver, um, maybe tell us the story of the last few years. What, what's been happening to the gold price and how have gold mining companies responded? So if you look at the gold industry over the past 20 years, it's been a roller coaster ride. So going back to 2000, we had gold prices around $250 per ounce. That was April 2001 rising to a peak of around $1,900 per ounce in September 2011. And then after that period, a dramatic fall in prices. If you look at the industry over these periods, so the 2000s and then after 2010, very different behavior. So during the 2000s, as gold prices increased, this led to a dramatic increase in the amount of acquisitions that were being done, around 1,000 deals, with combined value of about 120 billion, CEOs paying premiums of 30% and above, and a lot of capital projects being announced, around $125 billion worth, the majority of these exceeding budgets uh, by some significant margin. And then, of course, we had the crash in gold prices in 2011. Um, and as a result, many companies found that they had balance sheets that were over-levered, cost structures that were bloated, and so this led to a dramatic period of cost-out initiatives, paying down debt, firing of exploration uh, teams, etc. And also a lot of castigation from shareholders who felt that during this period of price fly-ups, the industry CEOs and management teams had destroyed shareholder value. So really this roller coaster ride has played right the way through until today. Gold prices are starting to rise and many management teams are thinking, is the industry now poised for growth? What should be our strategy moving forward? So the companies have repaired themselves financially, the gold price is on the up again, and the question uh, in the boardrooms is sort of, where do we go from here? Exactly. And shareholders saying, have management teams learned the lessons from the past? If you look at the industry today, it's in a much healthier condition. And hence, people are now saying it's ready for growth. But still, shareholders are quite frustrated because they look back at that period of, uh, of massive M&A and, frankly, shareholder destruction. And so many of the shareholders, the hedge funds are saying, look, we don't want to repeat the mistakes of the past and are warning CEOs 
So as a result, many CEOs and management teams are somewhat wary about following that previous course of M&A in order to achieve growth, notwithstanding several large acquisitions that have happened over the past six months. So before we double click on what the companies could and should be doing going forward, let's just talk a little bit about the gold price. Um, now, as you said at the beginning, we were down at sort of $250 an ounce uh, in the late 90s, early 2000s, went as high as $1,900 an ounce, sort of by 2011, halved back down again to about $1,000 an ounce. Now we're back up to $1,500 an ounce. It is an incredibly volatile business environment uh, in which to try and operate. But what, what drives prices through these wild swings? So it's a great question, and it's one we're being asked a lot at the moment. And so obviously people are asking us, you know, what's our forecast on gold price, but actually what sets gold price? How is it actually derived? And it's a very interesting question because many people say, unlike typical commodities, which really have their prices driven by simple supply and demand balances, gold is different. It's a financial commodity. And as a result, those typical relationships of supply and demand don't really apply Our view is more nuanced. We actually think it's a reflection not only of supply and demand, but also of macroeconomic factors. So on the one hand, you have traditional demand in the form of jewellery, in the form of industrial applications, but also you have financial demand in terms of people putting their assets into ETFs, financial coins, and then obviously obviously central bank purchases as well. Um, So really it's those two different factors that play in that help drive gold price. And we've certainly seen that over the past two or so years where you've seen gold prices react to movements in the interest rate by the Fed and also gold prices move notably up on the back of economic uncertainty, uh, be it around the US economy, be it around the Middle East geopolitical environment. I think what's really interesting about gold prices, if you look historically, and we've run the analysis over the last 50 years, is when in real dollar terms, gold prices hit around $1,700 per ounce, both in the early 1980s as well as in the early 2000s. These were periods of incredible stress within the global economy. The 1980s you know, followed the first oil crisis in 1974, and then the second in 1980. This drove hyperinflation. The stories of people queuing for kilometers on end in the US are are, are widely told. Similarly, if we move to 2011, what really drove prices up here were the negative yields and low interest rates, in many cases uh, negative. And it's typically when you see those stress factors coming through, and it's not necessarily the same ones at a particular point in time that move prices up. And it's as investors look for new investments away from equities and bonds, they tend to move into gold as a safe haven. And I think there's just one other factor that that we think is going to be interesting to monitor moving forward, which is de-dollarization. So we're aware over the past 50 or so years, the dollar has been the reserve currency, other commodities have been priced in dollars. What we're seeing potentially is a move to de-dollarize the global economy. So we think that that's going to increase the role that gold has, maybe not moving back to a gold standard, but certainly having a larger role to play 
which we think will be positive for gold prices. Okay, so let's let's segue back to the companies. Um, they've been on this roller coaster ride, uh, partly to do with the gold price, but partly you know of, of their own making to a degree as well. They're just coming out of a, a period of of retrenchment and cost cutting now. Um, if you look forward, sort of what are the big challenges that they're facing today? What are the conversations going on in the boardrooms? So I think there are two challenges. The first of these is just around productivity, productivity improvements. Again, if you look back over the past five to seven years, the gold industry was all about taking cost out of the business structure, deleveraging the balance sheet. That has broadly been achieved. So many of the mining companies, gold company management teams are saying, what's going to drive the next wave in productivity? And our belief is that that has to come from digital. So the use of advanced analytics, digital capabilities to you know, further streamline, further optimize processes, cost structures, etc. The second other issue that gold companies are facing is really around reserves. It's a classic conundrum in the mining industry. You're obviously producing from your reserves, so you need to continue to build reserves in order to keep production at the same levels or to increase it. And what we've seen in the mining industry, in the gold industry in particular, over the past five to seven years is as exploration budgets and investment into exploration were cut, so mining companies were basically digging into or exhausting their existing reserves. And so what we see today is that the reserves that they have on their books are around 25% lower than they were back in 2012 and in reality at 2007 levels. So in simple terms, cutting back on exploration over the short term is creating a problem for the long term. Is, is this really a function of uh, just spending less on exploration? Or is there a sense here that like the easy gold fields have sort of been found and it's just becoming harder to find big fields? So this is very interesting. If you look at the historic track record of exploration, what we saw was between the 1970s and 1990s, it was really a golden age for exploration. There was at least one 50 million ounce gold deposit discovery each decade and at least 10 30 million ounce deposit discoveries. What we've seen since the 2000s is that discovery find rate has really dropped off. In fact, the industry has failed to find any 50 million ounce and above deposits or indeed 30 million ounce and above deposits. And so what we're seeing is that it's getting harder and harder to find these significant gold reserves and deposits. I think the industry went through a structural change in around the 2000s in which companies learned that the return on investment to look for these greenfield projects was significantly low and push much of that burden to junior explorers. And so junior explorers with tight funding, and particularly when you see downward pressure being put on them, have left the market, and so that's left a void. But at the same time, your major gold companies move from a methodology of looking for these greenfield projects to looking around their existing assets and exploring the brownfield opportunities. And that hasn't led to any significant resources and reserves being identified. And there is slowly a shift and a realization by the industry that they need to look in new areas, undiscovered areas, 
And so I think this will lead to more exploration being done in places like Africa, Russia, and Asia, as mining companies look for the next big deposit. So I'm kind of wondering, is there a sense in which technology could play a big role in exploration and certainly helping to solve this sort of looming, maybe reserve crisis is a bit too strong, but this tension around reserves? You know, what are you seeing out there in the field, uh, Greg? So I think there's a couple of things. One is around being able to identify new opportunities and in developing reserves and resources. And Gold Corp, for one, is looking at the historical data at Red Lake, applying advanced analytics, crunching through the numbers again to generate new, improved insights that will hopefully get better results. To a similar extent, looking at extending the boundaries, Ryan Shaw from White Gold in Canada, they are taking new approaches using drones, for example, and trying to identify quickly where resources and reserves can be developed. That's the one side of things. The other side of things is going further underground. Historically, reserves and resources have been identified in 300 meters and above below surface. And the next wave is to look at geothermals, looking at underground riverbeds and the various dynamics and intrinsics within them to possibly use as lead indicators as to whether gold is going to be found at depth. And I think going forward, we're going to be seeing more effort being placed in this space. So more one kilometer plus deep gold mines instead of the sort of two, three hundred meter deep gold mines. Absolutely. So that's on the, the exploration side. What about on the production side? Is it, is it the same kind of story with a lot of advanced analytics being uh, deployed? Or are there the other approaches that you see out there that are technologically interesting and promising? Well, productivity in the gold industry over the last 14 years has declined significantly, roughly around 30 to 40% from its peaks. And so the industry, while it has seen improvements in recent years, has had to make a step change in the way it thinks about trying to extract material from the ground. We're seeing, if not all our clients, the majority of them talk about digital and analytics, automation, and how to better operate their minds. And this is everything from looking at predictive maintenance to try and reduce costs to how do you move into a more autonomous space, remove people from the mine face, in particularly where you see the highest risk of fatalities and injuries, but also the efficiencies in automating and running machinery in a more efficient manner. The name of the game here is to get your cost base down, right? Your cost per ounce, uh, get it down as far as possible to give you more margin and more flexibility for when the inevitable downswing in the gold price comes. Absolutely. I think the gold industry is very similar to um, other mining sectors, which typically have lagged more technology advanced industries, typically in the B2C area. 
What we are seeing, though, broadly across the mining sector is a greater adoption of technology, advanced analytics, digitalization, etc., as management teams look for that new wave of productivity. And you're seeing it all through the value chain. So you're seeing it both in terms of processing, so increasing throughput and recovery in, in plants through advanced analytics. You're also seeing it in terms of the mining part of the value chain, so improved predictive maintenance or improved use of assets, um, again, through using advanced analytics. And you're also seeing it in the upstream part of the value chain with exploration. Greg already touched upon this with the use of drones, high-resolution cameras, stochastic models to improve the efficiency and the productivity of the investment dollars being spent in exploration. I think one of the reasons the gold industry has adopted new approaches, technology, advanced analytics, is that the pain point for gold has been higher than other commodities. And so they've been incentivized to really turn around their operations. How does sustainability play into all of this? I mean, I think it's fair to say that the gold mining sector, you know, it's an extractive industry. It doesn't have the best reputation on environmental issues. You know, are the companies facing more stakeholder pressure and what are they doing about it? One particular point, and gold mining companies are highly energy intensive, is moving away from coal-fired, powered electricity to solar. And Sabanya in South Africa would be a good case in point. They're looking to develop a solar plant right next to their Driefontein operation in order to supply power. But I would, I would add to what Greg is saying, which is that, you know, historically the focus on sustainability was really around license to operate, which was around community relations, uh, making sure that there are enough of the local community working in, in the mines, in the processing plants, local sourcing, etc. I think the focus is starting to become stronger on sustainability in terms of environmental protection. So CEOs announcing what the targets are for reducing... Uh, CO2 emissions, that going out in investor presentations, etc., thinking about carbon footprints. And then, of course, the gold industry has a bad reputation when it comes to uh, environmental degradation through cyanide leaching. And so you're seeing some technology advancement there, cyanide-free gold leaching. And so CEOs and management teams, I think, are being held to account a lot more in terms of the environmental footprint, the carbon footprint that their operations engender. What about uh, recycling here? Um, We know that gold doesn't tarnish, it doesn't decay. That's one of the reasons it's been valued through the ages. So, you know, do circular economy principles play a big role here? Is actually the flow of previously used gold back into the system uh, significant? Recycling is a very interesting topic and a topic that gets put forward to us quite frequently Roughly 190,000 tons of above-ground stocks currently exist within the market. Most of this is towards the jewelry sector because of what is being held by people globally. But then there's also some that's being held by investors, retail financial, and in the space of ETFs and central banks. Now, why this is interesting is that the above-ground stocks significantly outweigh what is currently consumed on an annual basis. 
So the gold industry currently consumes between 4,000 and 4,500 tons of gold in a given year. About half of that comes through jewelry and about two thirds within that space is particularly linked to Chinese and Indian jewelry consumption. So theoretically, you could have a situation in which no mine supply is needed and all your demand can be you know, pulled from what's being held in, in above ground stocks. Yeah. Just make sure I got the math right, though, here. So we've got about 190,000 tons above ground, which, because gold does not tarnish or decay, is probably yep. pretty close to the sum total of all the gold ever mined. And then on the other hand, demand for gold in a year is only about 4,000 tons. So as you say, in principle, um, if a lot more gold came back onto the market, we wouldn't need to mine anything for years. Now, we've run an analysis uh, looking at what's historically happened. And there's two interesting insights here. One is that recycling peaked in the 2000 to 2011 period when gold prices rose to roughly around 1,750 and about 1,400 tons of gold re-entered the, the market at that point in time. And so if we look at the jewelry stock over time, only about one to 2% of annual jewelry stocks ever return. And so we see that there's a somewhat stickiness to recycling. So in short, will we ever see a situation where recycling will feed the, the full requirement of demand in any given year? Highly unlikely. Theoretically, it could play out, but I think we will see a situation where it'll be a more important role within the gold industry you know, going forward. I think the interesting story when it comes to sourcing gold is Rajesh Exports, which is the largest manufacturer of gold jewelry globally based in India and Singapore. In order to secure this supply they have recently bought out Valcambi, the largest refiner in, in Switzerland and there have also been talks of them purchasing mines in Australia. So controlling the full value chain in order to secure from the source as well as manufacture and then supply into the various markets that they are active in. Yeah. Interesting. So an example of vertical integration in gold right up through to, to the jewelry space. Absolutely. Coming back to your point, because the above ground stocks are not as fluid as people would think, you need to source more and more gold on an annual basis, which comes from our mines globally. All right, so I think that's all we have time for today. But thank you, Oliver, and thank you, Greg, for a fascinating conversation. You're most welcome. See you next time. And thanks, as always, to you, our listeners, for tuning in to this episode of the McKinsey Podcast. To learn more about metals, mining, advanced analytics, automation, and more, please visit us at mckinsey.com or download the splendid McKinsey Insights app. 
You've been listening to the McKinsey Podcast. To learn more about McKinsey, our people and our latest thinking, visit us at mckinsey.com or find us on LinkedIn, Twitter and Facebook. Facebook.